Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Lowe and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. What satisfied me? I mean... In general, 2020 has not been high on satisfaction, but I will say, here's <laughs> something. Andy already knows about this, but I'm going to reiterate. For Father's Day, I bought my husband a smoker, thinking, well, this will give him something to do in quarantine, like he won't bother me so much. And uh, it's worked. It's brilliant. He smoked a turkey on Thanksgiving, and I was a 1,000% satisfied, Ooh. not just by that smoked turkey. It was great. It was. I don't even like turkey. We've talked about it. I don't like Thanksgiving food. I don't really like the holidays. But that smoker has been a completely satisfying gift and purchase. Wow. That's really that's super impressive. We actually grilled our turkey as well. Surely we didn't do it as well as you guys did. Um, but it was good. It was I, I did nothing, Andy. Let's be very clear. I <laughs> drank many bottles of Prosecco, maybe squeezed a couple blood oranges to accompany them. I tried to yeah. make mac and cheese. I got booted from the kitchen for doing it wrong. So uh, <laughs> I I didn't do anything. I, I will say the key to the bird is apparently... You get it cut, you hopscotch it or butterscotch it or half. Uh, there's some technique the butcher does, and it splays the bird out like a butterfly. Oh, that, we didn't do any helps. kind of scotching to our bird at all, so that might be the <laughs> that might be the issue. All right, well, let's get on with the show, shall we? <laughs> um, it's a big week. It's a it's a huge week. This is the last week of the regular fantasy season before the playoffs start. So before we kick things off, I just want to ask you philosophical question, a little strategic question. Do you do anything differently from weeks 13 through 16 than you would at the top of the season? Oh, well, this is, uh, you know, this is super contextual, right? This is about your standing in your league right now. Like I'm in a couple of leagues where I not only have to win, but I feel like I like I'm, I'm competing against um, multiple teams beside my opponent. Right. Because I got to outscore some folks, too. Right. Like I but like I'm in a couple leagues where it's mm. coming down to that final playoff spot. So it's it's not just enough to beat Brad Evans. Right. I've got to beat Brad Evans and then I've got to outscore this guy by 25 and I've got to outscore this this guy by like 42 or something like that. So there are leagues where, you know, you take big swings on players and you, you might say that instead of, you know, I may, I may have a wide receiver three on my roster who I think is perfectly bankable and, you know, a Cole Beasley type who generally gets seven, eight targets, something like that and delivers similar fantasy lines. 
But I might look down the ranks a little bit at a Henry Ruggs or a Brashard Perriman or somebody who if they who if they really have that one game a year, Sammy Watkins, somebody like that. It's not just, you know, a touchdown and 80 yards. It's two touchdowns and 170 yards, something like that. Like they're not a good bet for it, but I know it's I know it's within their range of outcomes. So there are there are a handful of leagues where I'm taking big swings like that. Yeah, I think that in general, this year has been more in that vein because it is so hard to predict Hmm. floor. You know, floor has been so unsteady. You mentioned Cole Beasley, and that's a perfect. Um, although, I mean, then he goes and, and, and throws a touchdown. And so, throws a touchdown, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so so there hasn't been a whole, there's been more variance than ever in a hobby that is chock full of it. So I agree with you. I am general. I mean, but let's be real. Like, uh, all of my teams had some combination of Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, and Dak Prescott on them. So, and Chris Godwin. Ugh. So uh, Ugh. I've, I've been fighting a lot. There are a couple of leagues I'm still alive in, and I think trying to skim upside is what I am trying to locate the most for the rest I'll just, of the Not season. that it helps anybody this week, but I will never let the Dak Prescott thing go because he was like, he was so far ahead of the, uh, of the pace necessary for the passing yardage record. Like it was not to say that it was easy from where he was, but he needed a totally normal season from the, from the point that he raced out to like, this was going to be a historic season and it just bothers me to no end that we're not getting it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It bothers me also just from seeing good football, although I, I, I'm sure the, yeah. the members, uh, the, the fans of other teams outside of the Cowboys in the NFC East would disagree with you. Um, <laughs> we will talk about some NFC East matchups in a bit, but we're going to start with the NFC South because there's a division matchup between the New Orleans Saints. We're traveling to Atlanta. This is hot news, guys. I know you have been waiting, y'all. It is good news. Young Waku is on track, in fact, to play in week 13. Uh, Hell yeah, he is. Hell yeah, he is. 20 points <laughs> last week. That was a huge week. Exactly. And this is this is relevant because Ku has been the most productive fantasy player at the position. He's averaging nearly 11 fantasy points per game. And I know that this is something that you're bugging. You and, um, you and our friend Jen Eakins came on the fantasy community corner on FFL and talked about leveraging kickers for a couple of extra points every week instead of just setting and forgetting it. Yeah, and Koo has actually been kind of a miracle because the the Falcons have been really, really good at moving the ball up and down the field, and then they get mired in the like inside the twenty yard line. They forget that they're allowed to throw the ball to their best player, and they end up kicking. 35 40 yard field goals it's been a miraculous <laughs> season for Koo. it's been it's been tremendous it might be argued that Koo is not their best player as you just intimated <laughs> but in fact julio jones is their best player and julio put in a limited practice on wednesday but then was downgraded on thursday did not practice on thursday so he is doubtful for sunday that hamstring obviously continuing to be an issue for him. And, and I believe it was the game against New Orleans earlier in the season, just a couple of weeks ago, where he aggravated it in the first place. Yeah, tried to come back, came yeah. back for like a play, then limped off. If he, I mean, I would generally say that if if Julio enters Sunday, as he probably will, as like a game time decision, I would veer away from him. I doubt that I doubt that he goes. There's no there's no obvious reason to uh, to risk him. It's too bad because, it, I mean, you want all your stars involved in this game. 
that would leave Calvin Ridley as the wide receiver one again. And last week he got that same bump without Julio Jones in the lineup. Um, he led the Falcons in targets, catches in yards. He converted six to nine for 50 and a four yard score. If Julio were to sit again, you have to then, how much are you willing to upgrade Ridley? Also taking into consideration the matchup, the defense in New Orleans being quite good, all of those yeah, things. He- I mean, he pretty much always sits inside my top 10 when he's healthy and he's healthy right now. So uh, like it's a it's a fairly meaningless upgrade, right? I might slide a guy from like wide receiver eight to wide receiver six or something like that. But it's a Calvin Ridley is just such a strong play under under any circumstances as long as he's healthy. It like some sometimes it doesn't help. Right. Because Julio is one of those guys who just has Mm -hmm. such gravity on the field and he commands so much attention either from, you know, a corner who's shadowing him or from bracket coverage, or he just like, there's so many people focused on Julio Jones that it makes life easier for Calvin Ridley. I feel like Calvin Ridley has kind of made that leap into the, into the caliber of receiver who could do that on his own. So, I mean, Calvin Ridley is a problem with or without Julio Jones. So I've just, I've just always got him parked as a wide receiver one. I think that's fair. We do like the volume, though, because in the weeks this year that Julio has sat, he's seen 13, 10 and nine targets. So that's a nice volume. And I believe the last time when he played the Saints at the end of the season last year, he went for over 90 yards and Julio was not active for that contest either. So that gives a little bit of context to what to expect from from Ridley. But Andy's 100 percent right. He's a top 10 start when he's healthy and he's healthy. Todd Gurley, however, may or may not be he did practice on a limited basis on Wednesday he's probably good to go but you now have a player who has not looked particularly explosive all season coming off of an injury and against one of the best run defenses allowing just 3.3 yards per carry to opposing rushers but still when I was looking at my rankings Andy I'm still like well he's still like my RB 20 ish, you know, <laughs> what? Cause when you look at what else is available, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you downgrade him that much. Yeah. It's one of those weeks where you get to the, you know, you get to the line between the RB ones and the RB twos and you're already into guys like Deandre Swift and David Montgomery. And you're like, well, how much, how much lower can I make Todd Gurley? Todd Gurley has been playing, not exactly a full complement of snaps prior to, to the game that he missed. So like Brian Hill has been an issue. We thought that Brian Hill was in a blow up spot last week. Instead, it turns out that they just left him in his normal role. And Ito Smith took all the, yeah. took all the Todd Gurley work. It would probably look like that if Gurley can't the, the one thing that you feel okay about if you if you've invested in Gurley is that they always trot him on the field when they get it like you know they reach the 15 yard line they reach the 10 yard line like those those continue to be Todd Gurley touches such an unpredictable offense huh um <laughs> <laughs> what is unpredictable I suppose right now is the Saints because I mean we haven't seen Taysom Hill pass for a single touchdown in two outings he's now rematching against the Falcons. We know we can run him in. We know that Michael Thomas was able to get, what, 100 yards two weeks ago with Taysom Hill under center. Uh, But do you think that Taysom Hill can actually throw a touchdown? It doesn't really matter because we're still going to rank him in our top 10 because of his rushing ability. And even though every single Alvin Kamara truther is wildly frustrated by this, I kind of hate it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll hate it. Like, I, I hate the whole thing. I hate that Taysom Hill isn't passing, but also there's nothing balanced. I mean, there's nothing balanced about him, I guess. I just, he's a running yeah. back. And yeah, no, you no, cannot have running back eligibility. 
he's he's fundamentally a running back he's run he's run 10 times in each of their like each of these two starts um and it's actually surprising that hasn't been hasn't been more dramatic there was there was talk that uh they sort of scrapped whatever game plan they had in place for the denver game when they realized that they were going to face a depth chart receiver uh at quarterback which makes a little bit of sense changed up what they were going to do if if we can apply anything from the first game to this game um since it was just a couple of weeks ago that they faced atlanta we did we did sort of learn that he's pretty much only throwing it to wide receivers right all of the all of the targets basically went to emmanuel sanders and michael thomas and you know no no great shock that a bunch of targets are going to michael thomas but in ppr terms it's just been it's just been death for jared cook and um, it's obviously been miserable for Alvin Kamara. Part of the problem for Kamara also that he's playing through a foot injury. Um, so he's got the double whammy of he's playing with a foot injury. He's also got kind of a run first quarterback who's just not going to check down, right? Like if the first the first read's not there, Taysom Hill's going to going to tuck the ball under his arm and he's going to run. That's you know that's it's pretty common. That's that's not unique to him, but it's just crushing for a player whose value was in part tied to the fact that he was catching six balls a week. You do have Latavius Murray feeling have, receiving a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a boost. Obviously, he's getting a lot of the work on early downs, maintaining a similar role, but just not the not backing up Alvin Kamara anymore. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean he's gonna. Yeah, you, you have to think of Kamara. I mean, Kamara's seen three targets with Taysom Hill. Three, he's seen three Brutal. targets. Brutal. In two games. It's crazy. Um, that is obviously not his role at all. He was actually on pace to break McCaffrey's record for running back receptions. Like he was on a crazy pace, and now it's gone. So now they're they're fundamentally they have the same usage, right? They they trot on the field and they each get about a dozen carries, and they used Murray a little bit to to run out the clock uh, a week ago. I don't think this will be a run out the clock game. I think this will be fairly competitive. But yeah. You have to like, I don't I don't think my ranks reflect this right now. And and it's probably wrong. Um, I, I should probably have Murray and Kamara very close to each other. Yeah, Murray's still inside of my top 30 at the position, which is it's it's, it's a little it's a little disconcerting, you know? Right, um, right. I might have these guys separated by like 18 spots and I just shouldn't. I just clearly I shouldn't. Yeah. They should be very close together. It's a fair point. Let's talk about Cleveland at Tennessee because the projected point total in this one is 53 and a half. And I thought if Miles Garrett were to sit, that would stay. But there, but Garrett is now back. And yet that that line hasn't moved one little bit, which surprises me. I was very I, I have to go back and adjust where I thought Tannehill should be in my quarterback rankings because I do think Garrett is that much of a playmaker and can disrupt an opposing quarterback in the passing game that much. Now it's a, it's a really good call. I mean, Garrett's one of those few sort of game wreckers that you would expect to move a line, assuming that he's healthy, fully recovered, all that. He's a sack and a half a game, something like that. I mean, he's super disruptive. So yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, the nice thing about Tennessee is we basically know where all the points are going to go. We basically funnel the ball to like two players, um, it's a wonderful fantasy offense for for our purposes. It's interesting that you mentioned that we basically know where everything's going to go because I feel like Rabel is trying to throw everyone off the scent because he made comments earlier this week about wanting to throw to Derrick Henry more. And remember, that's always been the knock every single preseason. Well, Henry doesn't catch the ball, so he's not going to be able to replicate what he did last year because he just doesn't catch. He has a career-high 26 targets this year, but that's not saying a whole lot 
Yeah. And teams aren't going to like dramatically change their identity, especially when everything is working. Right. Things are generally working for Tennessee. They're not going to they're not going to dramatically change uh, game plans when, when they hit December. I wouldn't expect that. Even this mild increase in receiving workload is nice. But of course, I, none of it matters with Derrick Henry because he's leading the damn league in in rushing and rushing yards per game. And he's, you know, a dozen touchdowns or whatever and however many games with multiple touchdowns like he's and he just I, I don't know how much longer this can continue, but his his Decembers are outrageous. Like the way that on on high volume, on high usage, the way he's able to close seasons is just it's almost unprecedented. We should talk about Johnny Smith because, you know, Tank talks about him frustratingly every single episode of FFL because he's because so... he retired in week 10 or something. He's just gone. Right. <laughs> exactly. He's the tight end six on the like Johnny Smith as someone who has plenty of shares. He's a tight end six on the year. He got no targets last week. Now he's on the injury report uh, as of Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday. So I think, though, that that we know that Smith's volume hasn't been huge, but we know that he's been getting looks in the red red area of the field, right? Like he might only catch three to four balls a week, probably 30 yards, but also a touchdown. And that's what's been buoying his fantasy stock. I think when we're seeing the emergence of of Corey Davis, if Smith is now out of the picture, it allows more opportunity for Dana Davis to continuously to continue to emerge. Yeah, I, I think I was late to it, but I've finally gotten Janu out of my you know, top 12 tight end. It's just so hard at tight end because you like there's two there's, you know, and we we, we might not even consider Darren Waller in the, in, you know, in the set it and forget it class because he's really only had like two or three great, great games this year. It's basically Kelsey at this point, And then you're just you're just hunting touchdowns. You're just chasing touchdowns somewhere. Um, and, and Smith no longer seems, I mean, of course he banked all those touchdowns early. So there's, uh, he could probably get shut out a couple more times and he'll still finish as a top 10 fantasy tight end this season. But <laughs> you're, you're like, you're right. Corey Davis has had a, a little bit of a, a quiet sort of sneaky breakout season. If that's possible, he's been, um, he demands attention. He's been really good. His, uh, roster percentage in Yahoo leagues finally reflects how good he's been. Um, but I don't, I certainly don't think that John U. Smith, again, there are no trustworthy tight ends this year and John U. Smith is is not one of them let's talk about Cleveland briefly because this was the first and you had said this heading into last weekend's games uh the first matchup where we were going to see Cleveland not in a monsoon or in giant gusts of wind there these were clement conditions so we can see what (laughs) this offense with its pieces sans obj look like and it turns out that Jarvis Landry was the guy, you know, he was that clutch guy, you know, obviously that Stefanski does not want Baker Mayfield to throw the ball. But when you look at the over under that I mentioned of 53 and a half, he is going to have to also against yep. this Titan squad that is surging. So I have Jarvis Landry uh, recorded for seven catches. I think he probably clears 70 yards, but I'm not trusting any of the other ancillary piece. I mean, maybe Austin Hooper catches another touch, uh, catches another touchdown, right? Like he did last week, he returns to the end zone. But that again, is what we're talking like. I I feel like there's this constant revolving carousel of tight ends between it's Austin Hooper this week, and then it's Johnny Smith, and then it's Logan Thomas. And and we're all sort of just looping (laughs) the three of those guys. I mean, to your original point, like we really do have to throw out those those uh, those three games that were played in Cleveland after after Beckham went down because the weather was crazy. Either either it was driving rain 
or, you know, 50, 60 mile an hour winds or both in all of those games. So even though like you may not have been particularly happy about Jarvis Landry's performance, like good luck in those conditions. And they finally get a game uh, at Jacksonville um, and he sees 11 targets and he was great. And and he certainly appears to be healthy at this point in the season, obviously came into the season, you know, dinged. He had the hip issue. Right. Uh, Baker, Baker and, and Jarvis were great together last year. And he wasn't uh, a, a point that I've heard Matt Harmon make. This isn't like the Adam Gase version of Jarvis Landry. They don't just target him three yards down the field. It's not like super quick, all of it out of the slot stuff. They line him up outside. He's clearly the the focal point when they pass. And then you're right. When they get inside the 10 yard line, they'll look for a tight end. Um, and that's kind of what we thought this offense would be. They want to run it down your throat. Failing that, they'll throw to Jarvis Landry a little bit and then they mix in some tight ends and that's about it. Cincinnati at Miami. This one is intriguing because we don't know who is going to be starting at quarterback for the Dolphins. Unfortunately, we do know who's starting at quarterback for Cincinnati. But (laughs) (laughs) Tua did return to practice on Wednesday, but Coach Flores said he was going to make a call on Tua versus Fitz sometime closer to Sunday, sometime this weekend. Now, I personally, and I was pretty adamant about this on the Sunday night pod, I would prefer Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know why we aren't playing Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know why when you are in a hunt for the playoffs in this division, in in a moment where you have an opportunity to one-up your former teacher, you wouldn't play with the quarterback that gives you the best shot, unless, of course, he doesn't believe that to be true. I mean, this is probably the most interesting decision that faces any team in the NFL right now, right? Because everybody acknowledges that uh, two is the future. Coach Flo has already said, you know, as soon as he's fully healthy, he's going to be my quarterback. He's said it repeatedly that that obviously gives him some wiggle room like you can, you know, they can downplay or or exaggerate his injury to whatever extent they want to. Right. Ryan Fitzpatrick clearly gives them a better chance to win right now. And that's not even you know, that's not really a, much of an insult to Tua because Fitzpatrick was playing great. He's He's been playing yeah. great all year, but they're in this they're in this tricky position where. They're probably the best team in the division. I know that Buffalo has been out front, but uh, Miami leads that division in terms of point point differential by a ton. Um, They're way out ahead of Buffalo. They're only a game behind them in the standings. Like, you can win that division. And yet, like, nobody thinks that Miami is the sort of team that can really challenge Pittsburgh or Kansas City. They're not ready to score 38 points or whatever it takes to beat Kansas City in in a playoff game in the AFC title. But there's value to being the division champ. And maybe you win, maybe you win your first playoff game in in forever, right? Like, there's there's serious value to that as you're, when you think about the, the sort of... Are, yeah, there's a business side to it. There's just the the arc of of this version of Coach Flores' team. Like, go for it. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't go for it. I mean, no, you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl this year. But my my God, like the playoffs are right there and a playoff win is right there. And that has a tremendous amount of value. I mean, I have to believe and this is more of an existential conversation that we all think that Tua, I mean, when I watched Tua's tape and was recording rookies, like not just watching it you know, during college football season casually, but like actually watching his tape and taking notes. I wrote down numerous times that this kid plays with the confidence that he knows God has instilled in him an ability to play football and that is his destiny. Like there is just a gravity to his game that doesn't exist in players of his age. And even in the times that I've spoken with Tua, like there there is a, a maturity about him and not in that like weird leader of Hmong men sort of way, just in a, like in a knowing. Like have you ever 
been out in the world and met someone who did something and you know that they knew that was the damn job that they were going to have. And <laughs> and so I feel like there is this destiny feeling about him and what what an amazing experience if he could face Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, if he could gain that sort of experience because it's all leading to an eventual, an eventual place. But also I just feel like in this year of all years, it is so hard to count on anything. So when you are getting an unexpected break, just take right. it. Right. Right. I don't know. They, they both convey a certain genuine sense. Like I think they really want to win. I think everybody, I, I think coach flow has everybody in the dolphins sort of pull in the right direction, pull in the same direction. Easy team to root for. Uh, I, I would like it better fantasy-wise if Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> is at the controls this year. Yes, let the magic in his muse, that's Devonta Parker, head it down to stretch. <laughs> My goodness. All right, so let's talk briefly about uh, the Bengals because obviously Brandon Allen is a giant downgrade. That's not that's not brilliant analysis by any means, but I've heard but a T. lot. T. Higgins survived it. T. Higgins Thank survived you. it, which is freaking amazing. And in a tough matchup, James Bradbury has been good on the season. And I am seeing so many bus reports about T. Higgins not being up for the challenge against this admittedly solid secondary in Miami. And I think, whoa, he scored a touch. I mean, did you see that touchdown? That was an efforted catch. That wasn't a fluke, you know? I think he is up for the challenge. And I also think that he has been one of the most underrated rookies, probably because of the squad that he's on and because he happened to be catching passes from maybe one of the most famous rookies. And we got to give him some due. Yeah, some of that is, uh, the, you know, the fact that he slipped and not that he slipped too far in the draft, but he wasn't, you know, he, he was somebody that I thought was going to be under consideration as, as perhaps even the top receiver taken in the draft. He wasn't. I have no idea why the Packers didn't take him. They didn't. That's great for me as a Bears fan. Um, he's terrific. <laughs> he's obviously terrific. But some of it is just uh, expectations. And then at the start of the season, we all thought he was buried because uh, obviously Tyler Boyd's going to get his targets and A.J. Green is back and healthy. And it didn't matter because, you know, the, the talent sort of surged to the front of the pack. And he's great. I mean, he was obviously great in college, made some of the, the greatest highlight catches of the last couple of years in college football. Right. And he's doing it. He's doing it immediately in the NFL. It's been good to see. And it's it's I mean, I, I was ready to just about write him off because I didn't think anybody was going to be able to survive this Brandon Allen experience. And they just faced a pretty decent defense last week. And he passed the test with flying colors. Agreed. I actually, this is not even my bold prediction, but I, I boldly forecasted that he finds the end zone again this week. Maybe that's chasing touchdowns. Maybe it's not. But if we're talking about reaching for receivers with ceiling ability, with upside potential, this is a player that I'm now maybe more interested in after I saw him do the thing in a tough yep. spot last week. Um, let's talk about Miami quickly, just one last time about their backfield, because I think that this is something that fantasy managers have been tracking. Salvan Ahmed, oh, I love him. He got back to practice on a limited basis. He's obviously coming off of that shoulder on Thursday, but Gaskins has still been practicing for two weeks. He was activated. I mean, the team won't activate him until Saturday. So, if he is indeed activated, then we're looking at this timeshare, which is also a little bit mind-bending for these players since they were teammates in college <laughs> together. 
Yeah, it's a great spot. Like we maybe we buried yeah. the lead a little bit here because both of these defenses will give up yards on the ground. They both allow 4.8 yards per carry on the season. Cincinnati ranks 30th against the run. So it is a terrific spot for one of these backs. And we've kind of seen over the last couple months that they want to give most of those touches and most of those snaps to one guy. I, yep. I assume that that pattern will continue. I don't think there's a massive gap in talent between Gaskin and Ahmed either. So I think you can I think it's one of those situations where you can kind of slot both of them into the same spot in your ranks. And they're and it's pretty high, like like whoever the featured back, like especially if Gaskin isn't able to go, I'm going to have Ahmed as like my RB 14, 15, something like that. And uh, obviously, if Gaskin is able to go, I'll probably have him in the same spot. And I'm going to assume that he'll be in line for something like 16 touches. But it's a it's a great spot. Cincinnati allowing over five yards per carry. Let's talk about Jacksonville at Minnesota, because if you want to talk about matchups for a running back, Talvin Cook, obviously, even dealing with a sprained ankle that he played through last week, has a solid one. Here's a fun stat that I looked up. Jacksonville has allowed the most runs over 20 yards, 12. And Dalvin Cook has recorded eight breakaway runs. That's a run over 15, which is the RB4 for that statistical category. So right now you have strength against I've, weakness. I've been told and- that we should throw out big plays. I've been told that we shouldn't consider big plays. Even though they're consistent. Yes. <laughs> Even though he's doing it every other apparently week. And I, I just yep. love this, that when you see something that a defense is really bad at, and you see something <laughs> that an offensive player is very good at, then you want to smash those things together. Like a, yeah, like uh, a giant whoopie pie of fantasy goodness. <laughs> That's an excellent way to put it. Um, Dalvin Cook is this week's whoopie pie of fantasy goodness. Um, it's a, it, I mean, it's a great matchup. The, the funny thing is when you look at Jacksonville, everything is a great matchup. They, um, they are literally among the most generous defenses to every position um second most points against tight ends right they're like the fifth most points uh given up to wide receivers they hemorrhage points to running back they're just terrible it's, I mean, it's just a terrible defense it's a great spot for every element of men of minnesota's offense it this might be another one of those kirk trap games right because he's been on such a hot streak 11 touchdown passes in his last four He's looked really good. He's put some of the struggles of the, you know, September behind him, but he may only throw 15 times in this game um, because Jacksonville is not a formidable opponent. As you say, Dalvin Cook is the play here. But even on 15 throws, I I would expect Kirk to throw a couple of touchdown passes in this one because there's so little resistance here. I I love that call. That was the next thing up in my notes. So just if everyone is wondering, there is in anticipation from Vegas, at least, that there is going to be some back and forth. And I think Mike Glennon looked better than anticipated. Uh, So there might be a a point matching it. Right now it's at 50 and a half and the Vikings are 10 and a half point favorites. But we also know that Minnesota had it when, when Mike Zimmer has his druthers, he wants to hashtag establish the run, right? And Mm -hmm. even though he hasn't necessarily always done that, and even though Kirk has been throwing dimes, he hasn't, the accuracy has been there for him. But when you have a matchup where it's not necessary, even if it is a possibility, then I have to imagine that the default will be to fall on the ground game. But there's also, as you like, we've got Adam Thielen returning. He's activated yeah. off of the COVID list and he's on track to play on Sunday. He is converted. It is so hard to not assume or forecast that Thielen will catch a damn touchdown. He is... <laughs> he 
He's seen 15 red zone targets on the season. That's wide receiver four. He has converted 13 of them and four, 11 touchdowns. So when we are, if anything, I'm trying to think of who might lose out. And I know that nobody wants to do it. And I'm not saying I'm not going to start him, although I don't have much exposure to him personally. I do think that if someone is losing out here, it is Justin Jefferson, even though I like the talent enough to continually play him and shoot for the upside. Yeah, it's I mean, it's kind. it's nice in a sense that they don't they don't throw it to a ton of people. Right. So it, it's kind of been Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson getting them up and down the field. And then Adam Thielen punctuates the drive with uh, like in many cases, like sensational highlight touchdowns like he's been not I mean, he's been good. Even even games where he doesn't get a ton of targets, he makes some ridiculous end zone grab like he's been he's been absolutely wonderful. So Jefferson, obviously more than playable um, because he's a good bet to get 100 plus yards in any given week. Um, he's a very tough cover and it helps him, honestly, that that Thielen is back in the game, that Thielen is such a, a, a draw and, and commands so much attention from week, opposing though. defenses. No, I mean, he's good. He's like, yeah. he's that good. Um, it only took him a couple weeks to, to actually get out on the field and play ahead of BC Johnson. But once he did, like absolute star. Um, and for the Jacksonville receiving core, Chris Conley and DJ Chark look like they're going to return. DJ Chark is a top 25 player. Are you in agreement regardless of the change of quarterback? I, I don't, I mean, it wouldn't be much of a shock if, first of all, Mike Lennon like made himself some money, you know, like yep. probably earned another backup contract. Like he came on and he was good. Um, as, as good as one could reasonably expect Mike Glennon to be, <laughs> he was ready and he, t- and he took over like an offense that was missing its best receiver here. DJ Chark returns to a situation where he's facing a defense that I, I think gives up the third most fantasy points to opposing wideouts. Like Chark could sneaky finish as a wide receiver one. I mean, I, I think he's easily a top 24 fantasy receiver, all that stuff that Colin Johnson just did last week. Um, Char- like Chark's better in every way. Um, he's he's not quite as big, but he's faster. He's like he's he's about as good as it gets. So there's a there's a path here for DJ Chark to finish as a top ten, top twelve receiver. Love that point, the Colin Johnson uh, comp. Let's talk about uh, the Vegas at the the Vegas Raiders at the New York Jets. Uh, are we are we assuming that that Derek Carr and company can bounce back after? Whatever tryptophan hangover they experienced last <laughs> week against these damn Jets. I assume they do because everybody gets what they want against the uh, against the Jets so far this season. I, I assume they do. The the Josh Jacobs injury is a is a worry as we speak. I don't I don't know that he's practiced yet this week. Right. I think we're I think we're through we're through Thursday and Josh Jacobs hasn't come back uh, to the practice field, suffered an, an ankle injury. They were downplaying it after the game, but he's still not practicing. That's a concern. They could certainly get through this game with Devontae Booker, who I still think is a viable you know, gosh, it's so weird. We're you and I are speaking on a Thursday night and waivers haven't run yet. Right. Like waivers clear on Friday morning, which is which is yeah. crazy. And and things are going to be that way if we get more Wednesday games. Right. Um, so that's nuts. I still think Devonte Booker has a role here because obviously Jacobs is dinged. It's the Jets. You should be able to get up a couple of scores on the Jets. And when that happens, I think we've learned that John Gruden look, wants to just hammer the ball on the ground. So there's a there's a reasonable expectation that Devontae Booker in the second half, at least, is a is a thing in this game. Um, I assume the Raiders can come back, although they've got like they walked away from week 12 with some injuries. It's not just Jacobs. It's Nelson Aguilar uh, picked up an ankle injury as well. So that that might give Henry Ruggs a little bit of uh, a little bit of juice this week, too. A little bit of shine. Sure. Devontae Booker, I think if Jacob sits is an automatic RB, 2 I'm not talking yep. about I mean, 
I think he's flying under the radar because that game last week was so bad. So obviously game flow, although I'm saying that game flow don't work, didn't work in his favor because he only touched the ball six times, but he, he like drew a season high four targets and one of them was in the red zone. And you would imagine against the jets, he's not going to be used that much in the passing game because the Raiders won't have to be chasing points like they were last week. But it's also worth yeah. noting that I believe the jets are allowing the fourth or fifth most receptions to opposing running backs. So Booker's work in the passing game, which was noted last week, could be useful and at least exploitable in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if if Jacobs can't go, Booker might actually be an RB1. Like, I might have him higher than sort of that that RB15 to 20 range. We've already talked about how how quickly the running back position, for whatever reason this week, Spins just out, seems yeah. to fall off, right? Like, Booker would be, if, if he has that backfield to himself, a really strong start here. Let's talk about the Jets because they have been interesting. On I, I was heartened to see... Sam Darnold not just lock into Jamison Crowder last week. I think yeah. that that bodes well overall, right? You saw Mims and Perryman receive a ton of targets. Mims has been good. I really liked him coming in to April's draft, and he has seen at least seven targets and every week except one. Yet, you mentioned Perryman at the top of the show, and him, his existence is like one of these upside players that you want to throw a dart at because they could have one of those big blow-up games. I really like Rashad Perryman this week. I can't believe that he's rostered again. Waivers are going to clear, so, uh, but he's rostered in under 15% of leagues right now. He's only $16 in our daily game. And I was so, again, heartened that he wasn't uh, completely buried by Darnold. He He now has, he's cleared 75 yards or scored in each of his last three games. He's got a crazy high burn rate of 28.6, a top seven dominator, rating and uh there's a chance a very good chance in fact that the Raiders are going to be without Damon Arnett who had a concussion last week so I think Perryman has an opportunity to go ham this week this is one of those situations where we've hit that time of year where where roster percentages just aren't going to change that much because in a 12-person league you know right now we probably have five teams that are like okay I'm out of it I'm not making moves um in another week we're going to be down to like you know four or five teams that consider themselves competitive so like the roster percentages of guys like Perriman he's just gonna he's just gonna be out there in like 70 percent of leagues for the rest of the season and it's not going to move that much and it's just a gift if you can pick him up like I, I think this is a wonderful spot for him I'm interested to hear your take on Indianapolis at Houston and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the potential game flow, especially given what we've seen out of both teams over the past few couple of weeks. Because obviously, you know, people say, oh, it's dangerous to predict game flow, except that's kind of our job so that we can decide (laughs) how to rank these players. We know that Houston has a generous run defense. I mean, generous to opposing rushers. We know that they don't have a particularly good run defense. And we know that Jonathan Taylor has been activated off the COVID list, and we know that probably Indianapolis wants to run. But I don't think that Deshaun Watson, even with the absence of Will Fuller, is okay with that. Yes, I understand. Like, it is nearly impossible for the Texans to win the division. But I also don't think that Deshaun Watson wants to go out like that. Like, he does, this does not seem like a quitting effort or like, The Lions, for example, like I don't think that Deshaun Watson is making golf plans. I think he is going to force Phillip Rivers into throwing. And I think Phillip Rivers is going to have to answer after dropping last week to Tennessee. 
Yeah, Deshaun Watson has played great. Like he's obviously he's not in the MVP discussion because they're not they're not winning. They're they're in all likelihood not going to the playoffs. He he's played wonderfully. He's he's been yeah. terrific. Like even in the early season losses, like he's having a hell of a year. The Will Fuller thing, I mean, it's it's it hits me pretty hard because Will Fuller was on like the two best teams that I have in the fantasy portfolio. Will Fuller was a part of them, so that it like it's it's hurtful, but. Deshaun Watson is playing at such a level that I think he can. And I, I don't know that it's going to be one guy. Like, I don't think they have one guy on the roster that can just slide into what Will Fuller was doing. He was, you know, at, not at the top of the leaderboard in terms of of targeted air yards, but he was up there. It was it was 12 and a half, 13, something like that. So he's he was still uh, more of a more of a deeper threat receiver, but he was just every week touchdown. Like he's he's gone from being a, a player who just spikes a couple times a season to somebody who has literally been a touchdown every week for like the last two months. Um, he's been great. And I don't like they just don't have a guy who's that type. So you figure the targets go a little bit to Kiki QT, maybe maybe one or two. Like he was seeing about seven or eight targets per game. So like a couple might go to Brandon Cooks, but I don't I don't think Brandon Cooks just blows up as a result of this. I would expect the tight ends to get more work. I think this is good for Jordan Akins. Yep. We might see a little bit of Duke Johnson, even when David Johnson is back on the field. Like I think it just all blends into the rest of the receiving core without one person sort of stepping into what Will Fuller was doing. But to your original point, like Indianapolis, which has been a really good defense all season, they're a little bit banged up and they just got they they just got steamrolled last week. So they clearly showed some vulnerabilities. And I think Houston almost almost without regard to the quality of defense can I think the way Deshaun Watson's playing, they can put 28 on you. They can put 30 points on you. So they are going to score like Philip Rivers is not going to be able to game manage this thing. I think this is another opportunity for T.Y. Hilton, who everyone had left for dead, to have another throwback performance. I think that I think the Colts are going to be in a similar position this week that they were in last week. And that is going to mean I mean, the question is, is there enough volume to support both Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton? Which one is going to be favorable? And, you know, I would I would imagine that Pittman is being considered the wide receiver one, despite the legacy that Hilton provides, I I think Hilton, like he's now a top 40 play this week. I'm not, I'm not as iffy about him as I was, or I hadn't, I wasn't even iffy anymore. I'd probably just like, I wasn't rostering him. I didn't have many where he was droppable right before, before last week's throwback. So now I'm a little bit more interested because I do think that this game is going to have more points on the board than was initially anticipated. And I do think that Jonathan Taylor is probably going to get a lot of touches at the top of the game, but it wouldn't be surprising to me if he doesn't see a whole lot of them down the stretch in the second half. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I don't, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a Naheem Hines game. Like I, I don't, I, we've been, we've spent the entire year trying to trying to declare one Colts back or another to be like the guy, right? Like, but but it's clearly not working that way. They they roll them all out there early in the game. Everybody gets a series and then somebody gets going and then that guy gets a lot of touches. And it's not it's not Taylor every week. I mean, it was Taylor the last time we saw him, but it was it was Naheem Hines more recently. And um it, it, and more if, consistently. If yeah, yeah. Much more consistently this season. He's got like multiple multi-TD games, full confidence of the of the coaching staff and all that. And Taylor may not have that just yet. And if this becomes like a, a back and forth shootout of a game, they're going to have Naheem Hines on the field a lot. He also has he's had a floor in terms of snaps played that the rest of these guys don't like. He just always plays at least a third of the snaps. They have situations where they just like him on the field all the time. So I think he's actually the safest play in that backfield. And then I, I want to agree with you on T.Y. Hilton. Like he really did look 
look bad early in the season. Like his September was miserable. He had some drops. He looked like a guy who had dealt with injuries a lot last season. And then he's been, I mean, he had the touchdown uh, last week. He, he'd been a little bit snake bit. Like he's had some negated touchdowns by penalty, right? Like he's had some plays that just didn't count, but they really happened and he was really targeted. And then they were, and then they were nullified. Like he's had a little bit of that too. It wasn't just the touchdown, I think, last week. If anyone watched the game, it was the 50-yard reception to yeah, me that yeah. was the most. That, to me, was like, oh, now we are we are somewhere. The touchdown wasn't, partic- wasn't nearly as impressive to me as, like, now there is a deep threat and his name is T.Y. Hilton. Oh, that's yeah. interesting, you know? <laughs> Let's talk briefly about David Johnson because you mentioned him and because he is eligible to return from the concussion protocol this week. So the, <laughs> the, the Duke Johnson... Uh, I don't even know what to like the, he could have, should have, would have about Duke Johnson can now be put on the back burner again until this occurs another time, probably in 2021. But when you mentioned Will Fuller's absence, it is interesting to me. And I agree with you completely that likely the volume that Fuller absorbed is to be spread out fairly evenly among the rest of these receivers. I'm getting a ton of questions about Kiki Cutie, for example, who, by the way, had only, who had only managed two receptions each time he'd been on the field or active this year. I mean, he scored a couple weeks ago against uh, New England, but he hadn't cleared two receptions all season. Sure, he sees a little bit more volume. I don't think it's a one-for-one, but David Johnson is a little bit of a conundrum because when we think about his skill set, the thing he does so well, the thing he does so brilliantly that brought him to prominence in the league and in fantasy is catching out of the backfield. And he's only seeing like three, maybe four targets per game prior to uh, the concussion. So I'm wondering if we can see him utilized in a more effective way and what that might mean against also the Colts, who, by the way, are allowing the fourth fewest yards per carry at only 3.8. Yeah. um, And one thing we've learned about David Johnson at at this stage of his career and certainly this season is that he is not overcoming bad matchups. It hasn't hasn't happened all year. Like he has perfectly serviceable games when he gets a friendly spot and he has been absolutely stonewalled by by good run defenses and he's about to face a good run defense we have seen him over the course of his career just straight up line up at receiver like he can he can do this you don't have to use him in the backfield right i hope we i hope we, we get some of in it fact, down stop the using him in the backfield he's not a between the tackles rusher like this yeah, isn't what he right. was meant to be I fully agree. I don't know that we'll get it, but um, if we do, it would it would kind of unlock the rest of his season because, I mean, he's just not like he'll get what's blocked for him as a as a runner, but he's not going to get any more. Well, you know what we are going to get? We're going to get Mitch Trubisky under center again. Woo! Hell yeah, we are. Detroit at uh, Chicago game. Uh, Yeah, so the Lions are excited that they're probably going to get Swift back and they're probably going to get Amendola back. Kenny Galladay missed practice on Wednesday, so that's not looking good. Uh, the Bears get Mitch Trubisky. They also get the Lions, by the way, after the team has fired their head coach and their GM. So <laughs> probably, you know, you always, you often see teams like get a little bit of a bump, like a little bit of an adrenaline surge after something like that happens, whether they're, you know, fighting for a coach's memory or legacy or whatever, or whether they're doing it because they're free. And so right. which I imagine is the other is the option here in Detroit. This is gross. Like I just I don't <laughs> does anyone want to watch this game? Does anyone we know David Montgomery is gonna get a bunch of volume and he's gonna average like three point four yards per carry and the the matchup is is good in that regard and Mitch Trubisky can eke out. Mitch Trubisky is like one of those, he's on a lot of sleeper lists. Like there's a a path to two touchdowns and, you know, 260 yards for him here. 
Yeah, the the gift about this game is that the Bears are finally playing at noon again, um, up up against other teams. So they're not like <laughs> we don't we don't finally we're done with the primetime Bears. Like all of their remaining games are noontime starts. We don't have to worry about seeing the Bears uh, on an in an island spot anymore, embarrass themselves in front of the entire nation. Probably everybody saw um, the disaster against Green Bay last week, but that's what that's what Mitch's good games are too. Like. Mitch early in the season, even even when he was producing great fantasy numbers, and he was fine for fantasy purposes in week 12. That's what they look like. There's two interceptions that you can't believe he threw and you can't believe what he missed on the field when he threw those interceptions. And then there's like three or four other balls that are just hilarious misfires. Not not like, oh, that was so close. But but wow, how did how does a pro quarterback throw the ball eight feet over someone's head? Um, on a pretty simple crossing route like that stuff happens to Mitch Trubisky. It, it has been part of his game since he came into the league. He is really bad when his first read isn't there. And it might it, it may not matter against the Lions like the Lions have not been a good defense. They were particularly bad against the run. They have not been a good defense all season. We don't know if they're going to get some sort of, you know, fired coach bounce. It happens, as you mentioned, it has certainly happened in Atlanta a little bit. They're much friskier than they were earlier in the year. Um, and it may it may happen here. But, yeah, there's there's not anything that I'm super excited about on either side here, I got to say. Neil, I'm excited about TJ Hawkinson because I feel like this is going to be this sets up nicely for him. No Kenny Galladay. You see. Yeah. The matchup is the, the, the Bears consistently give up scores um, or yardage over the middle of the field. Marvin Jones. I mean, sure, he's been averaging eight targets per game while Kenny Galladay has been out. But this offense is tilting and the matchup sucks. So no, thank you. Not. I, I don't want to mess with it particularly. He is he is priced in our daily game to uh, to sucker people in, right? Like I think he's only thirteen dollars. I took a I took a long look at him because you know you're looking to fill out that last uh, that last receiver spot, and I finally talked myself out of it. We wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. All right, Andy, we've got the Sunday late games. We got to get through these. Another division matchup. The Rams are traveling to the Cardinals. Are we going to get good Jared Goff or bad Jared Goff? Yeah. Um, is like, <laughs> what, 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 how do we, how do we define good Jared Goff? Um, I think we probably get a b- better version of Jared Goff cause we can't get a, a version that was as bad as we saw, uh, last week. So I think it's, I think it's a little bit better. It's, it's not a matchup that is particularly daunting. They have a nice history against Arizona. Um, I'm, I'm plenty interested in the backfield for the Rams. Uh, cause again, Cam Akers was the most productive runner from a fantasy standpoint he uh barely plays is the problem (laughs) (laughs) that that would be my one issue with cam Akers is he barely plays he he played 17 snaps um malcolm brown is leading the backfield in snaps again uh henderson behind him i don't think henderson has done anything wrong and i i gotta say i don't think i don't think Akers was like a lot of twitter a lot of fantasy twitter was really excited about cam Akers off like the 61 yard run None of that was him. Um, that was an incredibly well-blocked run um, at multiple levels of the field. He didn't get touched until he was 55 yards down downfield, and at which point the entire Niners secondary had caught up with him and dragged him down. So, like, I, I didn't take away anything from that. I'm really excited that Cam Akers is getting the ball at the goal line. That's That's been a nice thing. But it still seems like it's a three-headed committee. 
It is a 300 committee. And I think, though, we have to do what Sean McVay said he would do, which is lean into the hot hand. And right now, Cam Akers coming off of last week's effort does have it. You're right that his snaps. When I double checked his snaps, I was like, that can't be right. I checked three different sources because (laughs) I I was like, 17? What? Uh, But. I will say that maybe Henderson hasn't popped as much as he did at the top of the season. I don't know if that's because of the quad injury. I never want to speculate as to why players are doing whatever they're doing. I don't live in their houses and I don't know them personally. Uh, But I do think that, you know, Cam Akers, for for those managers who didn't drop him, who held on to him in maybe deeper leagues, like... He's an RB30 this week. So now if you are yeah. forced to make a decision like, oh, Josh Jacobs is starting and I can't use Devonta Booker like I thought I would and I need to like fill this role because I don't have Jacobs. Like maybe now you throw in acres and you hope for the best. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And it, it has tremendous value that he is getting the ball in goal line situations and converting. He's not getting stonewalled at the goal line. And that's a that's a big deal. It, it means that, you know, perhaps that role is shifting from Malcolm Brown to uh, Cam Akers. And that's a huge value changer. The Cardinals also gave up two scores to James White on the ground last mm. week. They've given up three to opposing running backs over the past few weeks. So uh something to keep in mind. Kyler, let's talk about the Cardinals offense now still dealing with that shoulder injury. Matt Harmon made a really good point on Sunday show about him not looking as spry, still playing a little hesitantly and how that really diminishes the explosiveness of the rest of the offense. Yeah, he's um, he's he's tricky because obviously he's had a great fantasy season. He's he's run for a touchdown most weeks, um, his, like historic season on the ground for a quarterback. Um, he's like he's missed some throws all year. He's he's having this great fantasy season without having like pinpoint precision as a passer just yet. Like he's not as good as he is eventually going to be. You throw the shoulder injury on top of that and like nobody's going to sit him. You're not going to sit him. Um, no. This has a chance to be a, a ridiculously high scoring game. He's still, you know, I either the the most dynamic or the second most dynamic runner at his position very likely to get a rushing touchdown in any given week so you're not gonna you're not gonna sit him but it it is definitely a thing to worry about because the shoulder as much as they downplay it it, it's clearly affecting him and the rams interestingly are three-point favorites in this one oh you mentioned derrick henry season being december it's also december is Kenyon Drake season. That is always the season that Kenyon Drake does his best work. And he is on pace for that right now. He's managed either a hundred total yards or a score two last week uh, for three straight games now. So here you go. The, the Rams have been better than they were at the beginning of the season against the run, but they kept Shanahan's running backs in check last week, but still uh, sorry, Chase Edmond owners. The advantage is going to Drake. The calendar yep. has moved to the next month. Yep. Fully agree. The Giants at Seattle. Wow. Seattle this is a very weird week. Week 12 has been a very weird, <laughs> weird week. A uh, slow night for the Seattle offense on Monday, other than obviously for DK Metcalf. But whoa, did you like that David Moore touchdown? I did. Um, <laughs> I didn't like the negative yardage so much, but the touchdown was was chef's kiss. Elsewhere in Seattle, Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson both dealing with injuries. So a little bit of a timeshare is what they worked in Monday night. I have to imagine that I would predict that Carson starts to uh, take the lead here and see more touches as he gets healthier. Yeah, um, Carson's highlight run last week was one of the was one of the best runs of the week, right? Um, just bowled his way into the end zone. So that was great to see. I would I would agree with you that this tilts back toward Chris Carson uh, as he gets healthier and as they get more confidence in him. I, it's worth noting, I suppose, that these are actually top five run defenses. Um, they both allow less than four yards per carry. I don't expect that to matter, 
uh, in terms of Chris Carson's production uh, because they they throw to him. Um, I think he's going to get fed the ball. I think he's really good. It might matter a little bit if the Giants fall behind in terms of what you expect from Wayne Gallman. Like Wayne Gallman has been fantasy wise been great. Um, the touchdowns in five straight games. He's been, you know, huge volume and all that. This is going to be a, a, a rough spot. Like Seattle gets out to to a multi-score lead and we may not see a ton of Wayne Gallman. So what you're saying is Cole McCoy is an excellent spot start because he is going to have <laughs> to throw the ball. I'm not kidding. I actually am not as... De- Who is Colt McCoy? He's bad Alex Smith in an excellent matchup. <laughs> The best thing, you know, my husband, you've met him. You know that he's a Washington football fan. I know my Colt McCoy. I have suffered along with him through plenty of Colt McCoy starts, the one against the Dallas Cowboys being the most uh, intriguing. I believe that was 2018. Anyway, I know who Colt McCoy is. He is the bust that we all saw coming. Congratulations to everyone who nailed it. Everyone flipping nailed it. But I will say this. (laughs) (laughs) What does he have? He is mobile. He has a willingness to run. Yeah. He didn't pick up he didn't pick up a bunch of yardage last week, but there is still a willingness to run with the ball. That does downgrade uh Wayne Gallman obviously, and interestingly, Seattle is getting run on by opposing quarterbacks. They've recorded the second most rush attempts. Opposing quarterbacks have re- against the Seattle Seahawks have recorded the second most rush attempts, the sixth most rushing yards, and the third most ground scores at 5. Taysom Hill's not scoring any passing touchdowns, and he's a damn QB1. I think Colt McCoy, listen, is it brave? 100%. Are there better options? Yes. But I think the knee jerk, eh, this is going to be BS, is maybe not the most studied or researched POV. I will say you asked a question at the very top of the pod about... um you know, managing how you manage a team this time of year based on sort of the the situation in which you find yourself heading into the playoffs. And if I'm a if I feel like I'm an underdog or I feel like I need, you know, that that blow up week where it's not enough to just win this week, I've also got to win and I've got to hit like 160 points or something like that. Like Cole McCoy is a pretty interesting name um, because obviously at the bottom end, this could be terrible, right? Like this, this could of course be a terrible game, but it could also, I mean, he's also, he has the best matchup for any quarterback, right? He's facing a defense that has given up 330 passing yards per week. Like people have been going off against Seattle. That could very well happen again. It could happen in garbage time. It could happen in regular time. Like there's a path here. He's got really talented receivers. I mean, Evan, Evan Ingram's an athlete. Um, Darius Slayton's good. Sterling Shepard's good. Like there's places to throw the football. Like, it's possible multiple touchdowns and then I don't know, 45 yards on the ground that all adds up and that could be a pretty decent week. Oh, I love it, Andy. That is a be- thank you for my early Christmas present. That was all I needed. <laughs> it is definitely happening, but it is also definitely happening in garbage time. Like we saw last week. Let's talk about speaking of garbage time and their garbage time heroes, Carson Wentz versus Aaron Rodgers in this Philadelphia green Bay matchup. Um, Congratulations. I can't even say it with a Zach Ertz is returning from IR. We now have three tight ends. I am assuming that Richard Rodgers is going to be the odd man out. Why he has managed to best. Oh, that Travis, Travis Fulgham catch, by the way, when it like bounced, you see him go vertical. Fulgham goes vertical and it bounces off his fingers into Richard Rodgers' belly is the perfect play to encapsulate and describe the whole of the Eagle season. (laughs) 
Eagles have a lot of those sort of signature plays where things go awry in in wacky ways. Like Carson Wentz is obviously real life bad. He's been he's been simply bad. Um, continues to lead the league in all the things that you don't want to lead the league in: fumbles and interceptions, time sacked. He's lost over three hundred yards on sacks so far this season. Um, you don't pay a penalty for that in fantasy at all. You probably should. You don't. He's somehow. <laughs> Uh, in in like most close to standard scoring formats, he's like the QB 10, which is ridiculous. This is a very bad year for Carson Wentz. They're talking about pulling him, comes up all the time. He's like the QB 10. Um, part of it is that he's run for five touchdowns. And another part of it is that like he's he's a miracle worker when the game is decided and they're down by multiple scores yes. and it's the final absolutely pointless drive of the game um he he's been great in that scenario all year um and it like he's had a couple of little clutch moments earlier in the season too but he's been he's been great on final drives um but it's everything preceding the final drive that has been that has been super painful they have a nice schedule down the stretch like that they they could be a fun fantasy team as bad as bad as he's been um he's been he's been playable he's been playable in fantasy Ugh. It's just, he's so hard to trust on a regular basis, but you're right. The points were there, even if they came in an ugly way, but Miles Sanders has not been producing as consistently. And I think what's also concerning is the fact that Miles Sanders is starting to cede some work to Boston Scott in the passing game, which is what made Miles Sanders, not just because of his talent, but because of his versatility, such a, such a, a nice solid play. Yeah, he had a couple of really ugly drops um, this last week. And this last week is is his first true dud because he'd been, in terms of at least scrimmage yards, he'd been over 70 scrimmage yards in, I believe, every game he'd played until last week. And and a lot of last week was on him. I mean, obviously, Carson Wentz has been bad, but he had two really ugly drops that would have resulted in a bunch of yards. Um, and that's that's entirely Miles Sanders. And then in the, the games preceding that, you know, we'd seen a touchdown vultured by, by Corey Clement. We'd seen one taken by Boston Scott. Like, he's not... Miles Sanders hasn't locked down like a hundred percent of that backfield work. And it is super annoying because, yeah. uh, you know, I've got him in a couple spots and again, like friendly schedule down the stretch, they get it. I believe it's Arizona and Dallas in weeks 15 and 16. And that should be a good thing, but it's, it's uh, less exciting if Miles Sanders is going to be like a two thirds of the snaps player against green Bay though. Although we have to deal with game flow and game script, especially if he is penalized for the drops that you mentioned and Boston Scott continues to get the looks in the passing game. Are you that worried about him against this ultra generous green Bay run defense? Like where, where are you putting? He's still like a top eight play, right? We're not that concerned about it after that one true dud. Yeah, no, I've got him as a, I've got him as an RB one running backs have been producing against green Bay. It's not a, like that's going to end up being for all the things that green Bay didn't do in the draft. Um, it's probably going to be the quality of their defense that, that really gets them. Um, when we get deeper into the, into the postseason. Yeah. That, I mean, that is a problem. And Miles Sanders is in a good spot here. It's, it's a good spot for the Eagles. I, I hate to, you know, I don't want to be like fully on the record as recommending them, but it's not, it's not a bad position for them at all. No one will blame you. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Ad Adams. I mean, last week, like Aaron Rodgers was giving, he was giving gifts, giving touchdowns to everybody, right? He, but he had to give one to Devontae Adams first. And then interestingly, when you look behind Devontae Adams, like that's what we keep trying to figure out. Like who is the number two? And Alan Lazard was obviously back. He took one hard hit, had to leave for a second, was a little bit concerning, but then went vertical, and I thought about his core immediately as he scored that touchdown. I was like, oh, God, that looked like <laughs> – oh, oh. But I think what's most telling, and we don't know if this is Aaron Rodgers throwing shade, which he 
according to Tyler Dunn, obviously, is want to do. MBS outsnapped Alan Lazard, but didn't draw a single target. It was Lazard who was second in team targets behind Adams. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think we knew at the start of the season and, and immediately before Lazard's injury, he is definitely a circle of trust receiver for Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know that he's the most physically talented. Obviously, MVS has uh, like some physical ability that that is absent in Lazard. But Lazard was the the total grinder last season, the super hard worker. Rodgers couldn't say enough nice things about him, talked him up coached him up, worked with him at, at, like at every moment that Lazard w- wanted to work, right? Like a great work ethic player. Um, he loves Lazard. He clearly loves Lazard. <laughs> and I would expect mm-hmm. Lazard to be the number two on that team. Maybe maybe Tunyon is in that discussion as well. But but I mean, there's clearly a relationship between Rodgers and Lazard. He has full trust in him. And Tunyon's had some pretty bad drops and gaffes throughout the season. So yes. I think that you're right. When you use the circle of trust analogy, Lazard is certainly... Rodgers, by the way, like, not that you wouldn't start Aaron Rodgers, but he has an outside shot at 50 touchdown passes this year. And I feel like that's, you know, a, lo- a lot of people have kind of seeded the MVP to Patrick Mahomes, but Aaron Rodgers <laughs> leads the league in touchdown passes. And he's got, like, if he throws 17 more in his last five games, he's at 50. He hurt all of his fantasy Analyst chirping at the top of the season. Sure about did. Where he's being drafted. <laughs> <laughs> New England at the Chargers. So now we know we have a little bit of clarity in a less than clear backfield, usually consistently speaking, over historically speaking, I suppose you could say. We have Damian Harris and James White now. Sony Michelle had zero touches last week. That just means he's, you know, bound to go off, but I, I wouldn't uh, count on it. So that's that's nice. Um, in a matchup like this, last week we both talked about how the effort against Arizona would be a James White game. It was, although we weren't really 100% on our oh. process, right? Because yep. he scored yep. those touchdowns uh, on the ground. Um, but we're still... I think what, what's your take on that? How are you? How are you viewing that backfield? Who are you prioritizing? Noting that Harris obviously doesn't see any work in the passing game. My assumption is that uh, Sony Michelle is actually still hurt and they just had that they were like at the end of the window to activate him and they had to activate him or they wouldn't be able to play him this season. Um, so I, I don't expect to see him like, I don't know, it's the Patriots, so they never tell you anything, but I don't expect to see him anytime soon necessarily, maybe by the end of the year, but that's it. It is a super simple backfield as long as you can guess, you know, whether we're going to have positive or negative game script because our process last week was we, we think Arizona is going to put up a big number in this game. Um, and if they put up a big number in this game, it's totally James White because um, they're going to they're gonna throw to him. He's going to be the Rex Burkhead guy. Like he's going to step into the role that Burkhead had locked down and it turned out that he scored a couple of rushing touchdowns. So we were right, but not Right. We'll, we'll take it. I mean, I'll, I'll count it. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely <laughs> take it. Um, this should be a back and forth game, I would think. I mean, I, I don't think that uh, uh, New England's going to be able to stop the the Chargers. So it's probably also friendly. To, I mean, it's probably friendly to both backs because they're really just they're, they're really just down to two. And when they're down to two, it, it gets pretty clear. I wouldn't expect more than 12 to 14 touches from Damian Harris. All of them are going to be carries. They never look to him as a receiver. And I, I think a similar number of, of touches for James White. And we love, if we're talking about the running back and the backfield on the Chargers side of things, there's a lot of bodies in there, but none of them matter now that Austin Eckler is back. He's a top yep. five start this week. Are we even bothering to discuss whether or not he could be. No, not at all. He's a pretty clear top five, top six Thank start at, at the running back position. And nobody else, nobody else matters here. Like, I don't, I don't think they're going to, I don't know. I'm not particularly worried about Josh Kelly. I'm not worried about Balage anymore. Like we don't have to think about any of the other guys. We've got Denver traveling to Arrowhead. Ugh. 
I'm sorry, Denver fans. I'm sorry, Brett Raider, Broncos fan, that you have to live through this again. Uh, So Philip Lindsay missed practice on Wednesday. I don't know how many of you are actually starting him at this point anymore. So surprise, surprise, it's going to be a Melvin Gordon game on Sunday. That is, of course, (laughs) if uh, game flow... Although I will say Melvin Gordon has been like a a little bit... Game, game flow hasn't necessitated his touches. Like he's always seeing his work in the passing game is there and he's always seeing the goal line. So he's been a little bit saved despite goal, game flow for the Broncos. Yeah, Gordon has 20 receptions on the season and Lindsay has two. So Gordon, like if you if you think that Denver is going to be playing catch up, Gordon, Gordon is the back that you should be more interested in. He's the back you should be more interested in generally. He's he's typically playing something like 60 percent of the snaps. I think last week it might have been 80. Uh, it might have been really up there. So I don't think this is much of a Lindsay, Lindsay game unless they try to get him going early. Um, I feel like we talk about this a lot, but Kansas City will give you whatever you want to do on the ground. They they allow almost five yards per carry because you have zero chance of beating them by running the football. So they'll give it to you. So it's, you know, it's friendly to Gordon in that respect. And he's the guy they throw to out of the backfield. So Gordon, much more interesting. Yes. Interestingly, the over under on this one is 51, though Kansas City are 14 point favorites. <laughs> That feels Which right. Which kind of tells you everything you need to know. I mean, I, I don't think we're second guessing any of these players. So unless you have a point to make, I'm just going to move forward to the Monday night double or the Monday double header. Yeah. I, the only thing I'll say is that there can be some, this can be one of those games. I mean, it's every Drew Lock game. Every Drew Lock game in which he produces comes down to the fourth quarter and they're down by multiple scores. And then he starts hitting Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Like, I think they can all be fine PPR plays. Washington at Pittsburgh. Uh, if you watched Wednesday afternoon's game, aren't you really glad that the NBC backed that right up to the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lighting? <laughs> Not at all. Not everyone's like, why isn't it a night game? And I was like, y'all don't know anything about TV. This is clearly why they've sold some sold some ads to that to yep. that Christmas tree lighting in a year that everybody cares about that. Anyway, Bud Dupree is uh, done for the season with an ACL and. Is this, though, Andy, a teeny bit of a trap game that the undefeated Steelers, you know, just managed to, after some sloppy ball, wiggle their way into staying undefeated? Well, they're in a they're in a really weird week in a weird year. Right. Like there's not a normal flow to this to this game week at all. Um, Mm. We've seen this season and prior seasons like the Steelers will play down to an opponent. That does happen. Washington has some things going like they're they're coming off a pretty fun Thanksgiving game. They haven't played in forever. Like anybody who was nursing a a small injury is probably better now because they've had almost they'll essentially be having a buy coming into this thing. Um, Antonio Gibson's playing light. I mean, they have stars like Gibson has emerged as a star. Terry McLaurin is one of the best receivers in football. Alex Smith is competent, right? Like he's he's totally competent. I think we might get a little bit of a comeback from J.D. McKissick in this one. I know he disappointed people last week, but it's Pittsburgh. They're going to bring a furious pass rush and you've got to get the ball out quick. I think there are probably going to be some some outside opportunities, some in space opportunities for J.D. Maybe it's not going to amount to a lot in terms of yardage, but I think we could swing back to seeing J.D. McKissick see like 10 targets in this one. I think that's fair. Noting Bud Dupree is out, though, that means I think Alex Smith will have more time to connect with Terry McLaurin. Mm -hmm. And we have talked numerous times throughout the season about how the Steelers secondary can be burned. We saw Marquise Brown do it courtesy of Trace McSorley, although that was, you know, there was like a a miscommunication. But Marquise Brown still broke some ankles on that play. 
And yeah. I think that luckily when you have these yards after the catch receivers, they are the ones who have the most success these against the Steelers secondary. And wouldn't you know, McLaurin has already logged over 400 yards after the catch. So I'm not worried about him this week. Oh, no, I'm not worried about him at all. I think I think Terry McLaurin has arrived at the at the stage where he's just, you know, he's matchup proof. He's quarterback proof. Um, he's just a guy that you're starting every week. Buffalo is traveling to Arizona to take on San Francisco. About that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a mouthful. Uh, yeah, but Buffalo has not stopped the run this year. They have not been the defense that we thought they would be. Uh, they've given up 4.7 yards per carry, about 130 rushing yards per game. And all San Francisco wants to do is run the football. So that's kind of interesting. Um, having Raheem Mostert back and healthy is kind of fun. Um, he didn't see exactly 100% of the backfield touches, but um, did look pretty spry last week. That was great to see. He's got a really friendly schedule down the stretch, and it starts here with Buffalo. And it also, I think, bodes well for Debo Samuel. And I know there's a lot of concern because Brandon Ayuk is activated off of the COVID list and will be back for this one. But Brandon Ayuk can work within Kyle Shanahan's scheme as more of a traditional wide receiver. The way I like to phrase it is that Shanahan's Shanahan designs plays that are tailor-made for Debo Samuel and exactly what he does. And yeah. he is so good after the catch. And I just think he's going to truck plenty of Bill's defenders. I'm not worried about Debo producing, even with the addition of Ayuk potentially vulturing targets. Uh, it felt like Debo was the only one they were throwing to. It, uh, like, you look at the box score, and it's not exactly that way, but 11 catches on 13 targets. Um, he uh, like absolutely dominated the target share in that game, and I would expect that to continue uh, unless and until George Kittle comes back, which probably not happening. And you guys thought we were done because we did the Monday night games. Oh, but aha, there's a Tuesday night <laughs> game too. Ah! Dallas at Baltimore. Lamar has a, cha- a chance to come back, but obviously... The very smart listeners of the podcast will be keeping an eye on that. I believe all of the Yahoo experts have Lamar in their ranks, assuming he is going to play, though it is not definitive. Do you have any other streaming options that you have rostered if Lamar can't? Is this a place where you maybe use Colt McCoy? But although you can't, I mean, the, the problem is that this game's on Tuesday, so we have to know something. Yeah, you've got to know something. I, I will say that if I it's it's so difficult because obviously Lamar is one of those players who hasn't really exploded yet this year. But I mean, we know that Lamar is capable of a 30 point fantasy week. We absolutely know it. Very friendly defense. Obviously, I, Dallas has allowed the most touchdown passes on the year. They, they rank last against the run. They give up over 150 rushing yards per week. You can do whatever you want to against Dallas's defense. So it's a blow up spot for Lamar. We, we just need to see him we just need to see him practice like any any positive practice report would be enough for me with Lamar. And maybe I'd keep McSorley around as like my mm. my desperation. You know, if I had to if I had to have an understudy quarterback here, I, I could add him. He he, by the way, is another guy who made himself some money. I mean, I thought he looked I thought he looked ready to play. I won't I won't say that he looked perfect. He looked ready to play and super athletic, willing to run. He was he was great. He did for Marquise Brown what we've been hoping Lamar could Mm -hmm. all season. Mm -hmm. And then when he ran, though, Andy, when he ran, though, I was like, no, no. That was incredibly shocking to me. I agree with you. He and Mike Lennon were the unsung, totally unforeseen heroes of Week 12. From the Dallas side of things, Amari Cooper... You know, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup both saw the same number of the same volume last week, but Amari Cooper got the down the field work. He was the one who was able to produce. It was a long lob on the sideline. So I think Amari, none of my, none of my views 
of the receiving core in Dallas are changing given the matchup, particularly now that we've seen Andy Dalton under center. Yeah, um, matchup is bad. We don't we don't know exactly which Ravens are going to play, right? We assume most of them That's will be able to come back. They were missing like almost two dozen guys last week, which is just crazy. But, but we also you know, saw Jimmy Smith get hurt, and we saw right. Marcus Peters leave. So we don't even know like health. Forget the COVID stuff for a second. We don't even know health wise who's going to be available. Right. right. Um, if like if they're at something close to full strength, they've only allowed uh, I think it's six point five yards per attempt on the season. It's a very difficult matchup, obviously a very good defense. But we don't know as of this uh, moment exactly what state it's going to be in. Oh, my gosh. The rest discrepancy between these two teams, by the way, is massive. crazy, crazy. Yeah. All right. Looking ahead to Sunday, let's make some nutty predictions. Thanks to planters. Andy, what is your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's games? I've had to kind of pep talk myself into this um, because it's it's hard to say it, but I think David Montgomery is going to be an RB1 this week. It is a it is a minefield position this week. I think David Montgomery sneaks in there. He's got literally the best matchup for a running back in fantasy. Detroit has allowed the most fantasy points to opposing backs. We like that. They give up over 130 rushing yards per week. Uh, near the top of the league in terms of rushing touchdowns allowed. It is a great spot for David Montgomery. They're throwing to him now because Tariq Cohen has been injured. Um, So he's going to get 20 touches in this game. Game flow isn't going to get away from him. I think this can be his third 20-point week of the season. Oh, Andy, I could feel... I could feel you energetically working yourself up for that one. I am very (laughs) proud of you. That is incredibly nutty. I have a take that's also nutty. Maybe I'm just walking cocky after predicting that Tyler Eifert score last week. But (laughs) sit with me. It is a peach season take. Ryan Izzo didn't draw a single look last Sunday. He was also facing the Cardinals, which, as we discussed in relation to Dalton Schultz a couple of weeks ago, consistently quiets the position. The Chargers, on the other hand, have allowed the fifth most fantasy points and four scores, including one to a wide-open Dawson Knox, which I also might have predicted, to opposing tight ends over the last four weeks. The pass-catching options in New England are super, super thin, and Izzo is consistently logging a snap share above 80%. He will not get peppered. And he is touchdown dependent, but hello, that is the tight end position in 2020. I am fearlessly forecasting three catches for 38 yards and a touchdown. Make that the second of his career. Woo! Those were some pretty nutty predictions right there. What can I say? We're a bit nuts. Thanks again to Planters, and we'll remind you at home or wherever you are, stay satisfied with Planters. Andy, we've got Fantasy Football Live coming up on Sunday, 90 minutes before kickoff. Do you have a new segment or are you coming back as the judge? I'm coming back as the judge. I'm, I will be bewigged this week. Uh, yes. I actually have the case already and it is, uh, it, it makes me mad just thinking about it. Um, it is a, it is a, it's two fantasy managers doing a thing that I think uh, should not be done. Hmm. I think we should have a show called Bewigged and Bewitched, the Liz and Andy show. (laughs) Maybe that's a podcast. In the meantime, we have plenty of other podcasts for you. We've got the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. We've got the Yahoo Sports College podcast. That's an interesting one, especially this year with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters. The Week 13 recap will take place on Monday, and we will talk to you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader.
Just you wait. Auto Trader.